in my toes. I feel it in my sex, because that's the place it goes. I always wanted to be a singer. It was just that singing part I could never get down. <laughs> Channeling Woody Harrelson and Doc Hollywood there. Although, Woody Harrelson's character said I always wanted to be a doctor. It was just that medical part. <laughs> but you can uh, kind of replace that with whatever you want. Anyway, welcome to this episode of Welcome to the Rabbit Hole. I honestly can't remember what episode number this is. <laughs> just go with it. As usual, I'm just going to take a leap of creative faith and see where this goes. I have lots of things spread out in front of me, so there's plenty to do. I think, oh, yeah, let's start. Um, let me move these paintings out of the way here. And, uh, oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. I have several Altoid tins that uh, I'm going to paint on and maybe put a poem or something in them. And then glue a magnet on the back, make it a fridge magnet or something. That way, if somebody buys my books or whatever, I can throw in an extra little thank you. Which I guess I should do that shameless plug thing here. Today's episode of Welcome to the Rabbit Hole is sponsored by Dana's Books. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, I think there is, what, uh, one, three or four poetry books, one ebook that was, I can't do that white guy voice too long, there's an ebook that I released last week, it's on there as well, and very important, Time for New Sand and an Old Hourglass, the novel that took me 20 some odd years to finally complete. Ah, yeah, so uh, feel free to go to Amazon and buy those bad boys or message me through the podcast thingy and if you buy them through me i will throw in a fridge magnet or a, you know coaster i painted on or something 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 really cool okay so today let's ah uh soon there'll be a new chat book of essays only in e-form as well and this is one of the essays I probably still need to edit it and whatnot, but as you all know by now when you read my stuff, it always needs edited. I do all this stuff myself, so... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can't really edit your own stuff. I'm a great storyteller, but uh, I'm an okay writer. <laughs> Here we go. Y'all ready? Perhaps title this one, Never Giving Up, Tuning the Vibe. Calling your tribe. At the climax of my declining health, my heart and my soul felt like they were spiraling down a dark, cold drain. I began to hear the gurgling choke of the water as it circled faster and faster. All I could do was keep my head above the current and hope I made it to safe waters or solid ground before the drain pulled me down into that eternal, cold darkness. There were times when all I wanted to do was stop paddling, quit struggling, and let that gurgling choke grab me. My health, heart, and soul screamed they wanted this more than anything else in the world at that moment. 
The pain would make me so sick that I would constantly mumble. Oh, just fucking kill me already. And I meant it. There comes a time when you are so sick that a harsh reality hits you right between all three eyes. There is a voice. It quiets everything inside of you, around you, and you feel nothing but that voice. All you can hear, and hear it very clearly, is that voice. Who or what this voice is can be debated until the cliches come home. For me, it felt like this voice was the absolute voice. You would listen to this voice because this voice gave you no other choice. You need to go back home and take care of things. Not just for your health, but for your sanity, just in case this is it. You cannot die alone in your car on a cold mountain without answers to yourself and the world around you. You have to do this for yourself, no one else. This is your life. This is your song. Find it. Live it until the end. Looking like a skeleton and a raccoon had a miserable love child they abandoned on the side of the desert road, I made my way back to Indiana. That was not a pleasant visit. As humans, we just don't know how to deal with sickness and death. Perhaps it reminds us of our own mortality. Perhaps it reminds us just how fragile we really are. Perhaps it interferes with our own daily life, our routines, which are already terrifying enough without putting death and sickness right in front of our faces as well. Perhaps we are afraid of being too close to death, and that will get death's attention. Perhaps it is all of these things. My first week back, I tried to find as many friends as I could, give them a hug and tell them I loved them. A very awkward thing to do in a Midwest, small Indiana town, but I was still going to do it. Doing this started to take its toll on both me and the people I was maybe saying goodbye to for the last time. Sometimes we forget how much love is around us because all we can see is our own pain. I wanted to give people a reminder of the love in the world. Even if that love was surrounded by pain, in the center is where the warmth is and keeps that heart beating. I kept doing this knowing it may have felt uncomfortable and a harsh reality reminder to them. But I wanted to tell people that love was still there. It was their choice if they wanted to feel it or not. The hardest goodbye of all was when I stayed with an old friend who was the closest thing to a father figure I ever had. Once an incredible composer and piano player, he was now riddled with arthritis. His vision and hearing were going the way of the dodo, and life was an unbearable amount of pain for him. We both agreed that there was not a good chance he would make it through the winter. We both agreed that we were not sure if I would either. So we sat and talked as much as our health would allow. When his vision would go away, I would hold his hand and scream stories into his ear. He would then tell me tales of his life. I listened very closely, wanting to capture everything I could and file it away for when it was time for his story to be told. 
It was a wonderful time talking with him, but it was also a cold, terrifying, lonely time as well. I tried sleeping in their spare bedroom in the front of the house, but the overwhelming energy of sickness in the house was starting to take its toll on me. Add to that fact that they lived right against the railroad tracks on Main Street, and you had a great equation for madness to seek in. There were also three or four churches that loved their bells, especially the Catholic one at the end of the block. I am not sure why a church feels the need to chime a bell incessantly at 4 a.m., but boy, did they love doing it. Trains, semis, constant church bells were my background music as winter sunk its sharp teeth into the Midwest, and my pain decided it would ski down the cold mountain that would be my body. The noise, the pain, and the incredible reality check that I was actually staring death in the face was my world. I couldn't stay in the house and decided to sleep in my car in their driveway. The car was the closest thing I had to a home, and I really needed that feeling of comfort if I was going to stay sane enough to deal with all of this. Feeling alone and safe, just fucking kill me, became my mantra as I laid in the car and cried through the pain. Many times I would return from the bar so drunk I could barely walk, climb in the car, and repeat this self-destructive habit over and over again. Just fucking kill me. Your vibe attracts your tribe. I don't know where the saying originated, but it is a powerful one, and it has become part of the mantra of how I choose to live my life now. It was in that driveway where I really did start to believe that. Even through all of this sickness, I kept exercising. I kept moving forward, believing if I was going to go out, I was at least going out like a warrior and of my own free will. I walked the country roads until I couldn't take any more. I would vomit by the side of the road and then walk back to the car where I would drop, sweat, and cry until I could do it again. After returning from the longest walk I had attempted in a while, I was leaning on the car so dizzy that I thought I would not even get in the car before I passed out. Oh, just fucking kill me already, I whispered. There were several failed attempts at getting in the car when I heard an angry, deep woods, redneck voice scream, Fuck you! I focused my eyes and looked around. Walking down the road with his middle finger in the air and walking like that cliched, angry, drugged-out redneck looking for a fight, he stormed towards me. Really? I whispered. We are doing this. Having no idea who Cliché Boy was, I looked around to see if, by chance, there was someone else that his anger was focused upon. I'm talking to you, faggot! He was just a kid, early twenties at the oldest. He had a natural muscle-bound build to him, an overwhelming amount of axe cologne on, and his eyes were dilated to charcoals as his lips kept pulling back in an angry, twenty-eight-days-later smile and then to a Jack Nicholson's shining kind of laugh. You've got to be kidding me, I whispered as I leaned on the car to get my footing underneath me. That distinctive, overwhelming voice whispered in my head, 
Well, you wished for death. Here you go. You are so weak right now. There's a damn good chance you cannot defend yourself from this tweaked out douchebag. And you have put yourself in this situation from not paying attention to your surroundings. Have fun. Dude, what are you talking about? I asked in a very calm voice with a very deep, frustrated sigh. I do not know you and really am not going to deal with this shit right now. Oh, you're about to know. And I swear to God, he did that foot bounce, keeping your fists by your hips as you show your manly, angry, teeth, white guy face thing as he said, Devil told me you're gay, a dick-sucking faggot. Like I need the devil to tell me that. Ah, oh, great. This kid is insane, and he is tweaked out on something intense. Great. Great. Two things that you cannot deal with on any rational level whatsoever. Intense drugs and insanity. Scooter, seriously, what the fuck? Was all I could get out as I threw my arms up in utter bewilderment. The way he was telegraphing his swings, I was betting on this kid used his build and anger to threaten people, but had never really been in a fight. Not a real, you were fighting to kill the other person and save your own life type of fight. I had been in several of those. And I was right. Even in my exhausted state, I could still see his punches coming from Mississippi and blocked everyone that came towards me. My knuckles and hands popping with each impact but no other damage occurring. After several failed attempts, he stepped back. Crazy knows crazy, and I don't know if he figured it out himself or the devil told him, this is not easy prey. But he did that, I am a tough guy, but I am not a tough guy laugh as he said, yeah, that's what I thought. This never happened, faggot. Kendall will never know I was here, you got that? Then he stormed down the alley yelling, Oh, faggots, you fucking die! Ow, 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 fuck, 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 fuck! I said, shaking my hands that had just taken the full force of Scooter douche whistles punches. Fuck, that always hurts. But then that calm voice said, Dude, the only thing that hurts is your hands right now. Be happy. That whole kung fu shit you have practiced for decades works. Both me and the voice laughed. It was right. It turns out that Scooter Douchewishel was the town's bipolar schizophrenic. Having severe demons and trouble with his own sexuality, he was supposedly harmless. Up until the devil driveway incident. With me, that is. Your vibe brings out others crazy, and you are a lighthouse for that crazy to follow. If you don't change that vibe, the crazy will keep coming. At one point, Kendall had tried to help the kid out. His mental illness was too severe, and Kendall distanced himself from the kid. Apparently, seeing me in the driveway had triggered something in the kid, and he snapped. He never officially returned to the driveway, but for the next couple of cold nights in the car, I wouldn't be able to sleep from the pain. I would sit in the car and watch the kid circling the block. Fascinated by the situation, I would go through my own life as to why this guy would radar in on me. And then it really did hit me. I kept begging the universe just to kill me and get this pain over with. And I believed I meant it. Well, the universe responded. 
and I was staring at its answer. Obviously, I was not ready to die yet. Laughing, I shook my head and said, Your vibe really does attract your tribe. The next day, I gave Kendall a deep hug, and we said our goodbyes, our real goodbyes. I told him I had to return to the desert, and the world was pushing me that way. He understood, and I hugged the man harder than I had ever hugged anyone ever before. Once again, I climbed in my car and kept moving forward. That trip back home was a cold, painful one, but that drive back to the mountain was one of the revel... <laughs> Deep breath. That trip back home was a cold, painful one, but that drive back to the mountain was one of revelation and strength, and finding the many depths inside of me where both of those things were. On that drive, I had plenty of time to think. The wonderful thing about driving long distances alone, there's plenty of time for that. Kind of all there is, really. Thinking. Your vibe attracts your tribe. I kept saying as I smiled and shook off the cold I was leaving behind. It really is true. I was unraveling and everything about me said so. That vibe is an energy and a dark energy like that calls to others who are unraveling as well. It is a very fragile line to live on and eventually will take its toll on you if you let it. I stopped letting it. To lose that music inside of you and forgetting to listen to the music around you is a horrible feeling. It happens to all of us. Sometimes life's overwhelming vibe drowns out our own. Sometimes it is hard to realize the vibe you are writing, although harsh, still is a song and has a purpose. So hard to explain, even harder to live, but it can be done. I guess the romantic in me hopes or has faith that maybe some... My tongue fell out there. I guess the romantic in me hopes or has faith that maybe sharing these oddball tales of running from myself as I was trying to find myself in that balance with my vibe is a way of maybe helping someone out there tune into a different song and tune into their vibe, a different rhythm that the one they are struggling with right now, perhaps. Only you can fix you. But sometimes you need someone else to find the you that you can believe in to begin that fix. Sometimes writing things like this to you helps me find the ways to share that song that is so hard to sing at times, but so wonderful to feel. So here you go. We just fine-tuned the vibe, perhaps. Everything is a test. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Keep searching for the music between the music and keep trying to find the notes between the notes. I enjoyed writing that essay. Very, very healing. I'm not sure if you all can hear in the background or not, but my studio is in the basement of my girlfriend's house. She has two teenagers and they bounce around and do teenager things. I don't have the heart to tell them I'm recording because I do it in such odd hours. It's just sort of a background music that I'm getting used to. 
I've never, never been married. Never had a family. Never had kids. Hell, I've even had a vasectomy to <laughs> make sure that didn't happen. I always said if I fell in love with somebody and they had children, I would do the very best I could to, I don't know, not be a father, because that would be silly, but be understanding, I guess. I have came into these kids' life right as they're about to be adults, so we tend to just give each other space. <laughs> I did find it interesting to read that one as I heard them bouncing around upstairs. I didn't know why I brought that up. I guess, you know, the THC will do that to you. <laughs> I guess in case you guys heard it. All right, well, I'm going to take a breather, do some stretching, and then come back and, I don't know, we'll find something else. Maybe some jokes or, I don't, I don't know, stuff, thingies. Who knows? All right, let's do some uh, exit music. Uh, See y'all in a few. Welcome back to the second part of this episode thingy. In the background, the 17-year-old boy is playing his hippity-hoppity in his room. and I hear the footfalls of the 15-year-old teenage daughter making herself dinner upstairs. It sort of has its own little rhythm all to itself. Kind of cool. Hopefully you can't hear it too much because I'd hate to have some sort of copyright infringement thing happening from the hippity-hoppity that I don't even like. I'm more of the 90s hip-hop stuff. I'm probably just sounding like a middle-aged guy, but it does seem like the music back then was actually saying something. Again, that could just be me. Being that, when I was your age, we we walked up both hills, both ways in our underwear, and we were grateful. Whenever you hear somebody say shit like that, they were never fucking grateful. They were just as jaded as all teenagers and shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so we're going to add a couple little brush strokes to this canvas I'm currently working on that has dragonflies on it. And I was kind of digging, reading from the new chat book that'll be out soon. Uh, please feel free to buy my old books. But I, I don't really want to promote the novel right now. I'm kind of tired of reliving that, just for this moment. So I thought I'll read a couple more from the ebook that will be Everything is a Test. And uh, yeah, I don't know what's going to be out yet. Here we go! <laughs> I know how cold it can feel to be alone. This cold has teeth. Very sharp teeth. It is a cold that digs into the bones and makes a home that you feel you have to live in. I know how cold it is to be alone. Doesn't mean the cold needs to stay. It just means it is time to learn to be warm when you are not alone. 
The fire comes later. Perhaps title this one, Everything is a Test. Heading to help a friend move her washer, I stop at the Circle K to grab an egg roll and a fountain drink. As I am walking up to the counter, a guy walks in front of me, puts several items on the counter, and walks away to get more things. I am ready to wait in line when the nice cashier lady, I see her every day and she helps me with my Spanish, weighs me up to ring me in. I give her a smile, ask how she was doing, and then I hear in a teeth-grinding angry voice, Excuse me, sir! And I feel someone bump my shoulder. I look to my right, and there is this stick puffing out his chest, leaning into me and breathing like he is about to explode with anger. Granted, I am not a big person, far from it. But I could have picked this heavy breathing twig up with two fingers and broke him like the stick he was. I look him up and down, and for one brief second in my head, the old angry me says, Well, this fucking idiot just gave up his ground and is leaning forward, revealing his chin. Just throat punch him when he hits the ground, break a bone, and then pay for your egg roll. I no longer listen to that voice. And so I very calmly grab my soda and egg roll, take two steps back, and gesture for him to pay for his things. He steps up to the counter and then proceeds to keep looking back at me as he screams expletives like, People need to fucking learn respect! I was here first, god fucking damn it! No fucking respect these days! Just do whatever the fuck you want! The lady behind the register says, Sir, I told him to come up to the counter. He keeps screaming things at me like, You think you can just fucking do whatever you fucking want without any consequences? Your time is over, motherfucker. I, my first thought was, Whose time is over? But taking a deep breath, I say in a calm voice, Dude, she waved me up because you walked away. Just pay for your things and let's move on with our lives. He keeps going on this rant as the lady and I both keep repeating our mantra, but still not paying any attention, he screams one more time, No fucking respect! The cashier lady and the three people now behind me in line scream, Just pay for your shit! She told him to come up there! He stops and looks at all of us and then says, Oh, I didn't hear that part. And then starts to cash in a stack of lottery tickets. If you would have fucking listened instead of being a dick, says the woman behind me, the guy now ignores us as we all laugh at him and watch as he takes another decade to ask about lottery tickets. I take a very, very deep breath, exhale, and then just smile. This stuff really doesn't get to me anymore. You handled that quite well, said the woman behind me as she gives me a pat on the back. I smile at her, shrug my shoulders, and say, Everything is a test, and your vibe attracts your tribe. The man finally pays for his things and storms out the door, not saying a word. As I am walking up to the counter, the nice cashier lady gives me a warm smile and says, Oh, thank you so much. That could have got ugly real fast. You're welcome. And yes, it could have. But that would have done a, not any of us any good. And there would have been no point to it. At the end of the day, he still would be a dick. Granted, a dick with some broken bones but still a dick, 
and my day would have been ruined. People like that want confrontation. They want to justify whatever dogma or absurd belief they have by blaming the entire world. They will always be right in their eyes, even when you show them facts and prove they were wrong. They don't apologize and admit they were wrong. They keep carrying that anger inside and justify their life with absurd rants and even more anger. I sat in my car, ate my egg roll, and thought of the situation that just occurred. I really wasn't angry at all. The old me would be filled with so much adrenaline and anger that it would take me a day to calm down. Me justifying my anger and rage by blaming shit whistle for ruining my day and not letting it go. And if anything else bad would happen in that time, it would just add fuel to my stress and anger, and eventually I would get sick. And that doesn't solve or help anything. Everything is a test. I have no idea why Bubba Douchetep was ranting at me like that, nor does it matter. He has demons that he projects on everyone else. Perhaps that is his test and he is failing. Or perhaps in his eyes he has passed and we are the ones that have failed. Again, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that I did not let him get to me. There are so many shit whistles like him out there that if we resort to their type of violence, they win. We are now a part of their demon-filled angry world. I am realizing that more and more, and I refuse to be a part of that lie. Overall, if you treat people with respect, be as nice and kind as you possibly can, and just try to put good out in the world, eventually the good does win. And even the hardest of tests seem easy. It may not seem like that at times, but some tests are harder than others. At the end of the day, it is you that decides what you learned. There really is no passing or failing. There is only learning. For me, I have learned this. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Everything is a test. And always keep searching for the music between the music. And always keep trying to find the notes between the notes. And for this essay, don't let the twat waffles get to you. Okay. How much time have I been going? I don't want to keep you all too long. You have things to do. Let's see. Well, maybe one more. Granted, I'm reading all of my essays to you, but... By the time I write and rewrite and edit them, they may be different. Or who knows, you may say, Oh my God, those essays were so cool that I'm going to go out and buy that chat book and his older books because he entertains the fuck out of me with that podcast thingy. And then I'm going to go on YouTube and watch his videos of him dancing and stuff. I don't know why you all have that excited voice. I don't judge. I appreciate it, though. Okay, let's do one more. I think it's a shorty. A man of many hats. My grandfather, a colorful character of many phrases, used to say, I am a man of many hats, hoss. As a kid, I didn't realize he was not only speaking in the real sense, but he had a closet full of different hats for whatever job. Yeah, well, that was not good. See, I need to practice this one more. Let me start over. Sorry, sorry. Let me get in character here. Hang on. <laughs> Second verse, 
Same as the first. A man of many hats. My grandfather, a colorful character of many phrases, used to say, I am a man of many hats, hoss. As a kid, I didn't realize he was not only speaking in the real sense, he had a closet full of different hats for whatever job needed to be done, but also metaphorically speaking. I remember getting home from school or just walking in the house and Pop saying something like, Time to get that changing the lawnmower blades hat on, hoss. Pop would then proceed to walk to the closet and grab the old ratty green John Deere hat that was his mowing hat. If we were going fishing, the kiss my bass hat that smelled like tobacco and night crawlers. That hat always hung on his bionic arm. That was what he called his prosthetic arm with the hook. Six million dollar man was quite popular when I was a kid. If he was gambling, his invisible hat that no one could see. <sighs> oh, I gotta rewrite that sentence. I buggered it up. Hang on, I'm sorry. If he was gambling, his invisible hat that no one could see but him, and he conquered his contemplative gambling melon. Ooh, that is a horrible sentence. My goodness, I probably should not be reading this to you. But we're already waist deep up in the story here. I love that gambling hat. <laughs> I'll write that. I'll rewrite that later. Sorry. There was a hat for almost every job or occasion. With most things as a kid, you really don't appreciate them until they are just a memory. But even as a kid, I knew the hat closet was something special. I couldn't explain it back then, but I knew magic when I felt it. And for Pop, that was his way of holding on to his magic. Especially when time took its toll on him and it was harder and harder for him to put those hats on his tired head. When Pop passed away and we had to clear out the house, I was the one that cleaned out the linen closet. The trash bag after trash bag was filled with old clothes, boots, shoes, several whoopee cushions, Carhartt overalls, and Pop's canes. The closet empty except for his bionic arm and the hats along the wall. I closed the door and just sat in silence. I took a deep sigh and cried. I could hear his voice in every single one of those hats. I could stare at every hat and so many memories flooded my emotions. Knowing the deed had to be done, I stared at his bionic arm and heard him in my head. Suck it up, hoss. Rip the bayonet off and then move on. I cleared each hook of its hat until I came to the one on the very end. The hook looked like it had no hat on it, but I knew better. I reached up and grabbed Pop's invisible gambling hat. As I turned the hat around in my hands, I could hear Pop's crazy inside of me, that eccentricity that only he had. With pride, I placed that hat on my head and felt it snuggle into place. It fit perfectly, and there it has stayed. I have followed in my grandfather's footsteps in so many ways. I have his demons of chronic pain, Addiction, I will always have to deal with that. I have his batshit craziness inside of me that has been a fuel of my life and creativity for a very, very long time. But I also have his strength, his work ethic, and the ability to never give up no matter what you face. Wanting to experience everything that I possibly could I have traveled all over the country and put on many different hats and the jobs that went with them. Sometimes the hat fit perfectly 
and I experienced a great amount of knowledge and pleasure in doing whatever job was in front of me. Other times the hat didn't fit at all, but it needed to be worn for the job to get done, and I did the best I could. I think that is the important thing to remember. We not only learn from our successes, but sometimes we learn from our failure as well, sometimes even more so. In following in his footsteps, I now refer to myself as a man of many hats. Every new experience, every new job, every new idea I discover gives me a new hat that I wear with pride. As I am typing this all for you, I pause and give you a tip of my invisible hat. This is one of my stronger hats. Perhaps strongest because that is for you to decide, wonderful reader, whether... <laughs> I don't know. Normally I have a way with words and the ability to tell a story that can bring many of us together. Maybe that's what this hat is as I write. If only for this story. But we share the same world. We share the same hat for a brief second. I look forward to discovering new hats with all of you, sharing the tale of how I acquired them and hoping it helps find new hats of your own. Always keep searching for the music between the music. Always keep trying to find the notes between the notes. The song is quite beautiful. Well, the story's there. I obviously need to rewrite it, but again, that's never ending with me. All right. Well, thank you for the beautiful rhythm today. That was a daisy. Until then... You know, the music and searching thing, the notes between the notes. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Everything is a test. And we are all in this together. Ciao, Bella. <laughs>